How many of you love the Word of God today? Do you? Amen. Well, I'm going to talk to you again about smart money. Oh, man, here I am in church, and the preacher's talking about money. Well, let me tell you why. Because money's spiritual. It's a very, very spiritual issue. And did you know that the majority of the parables of Jesus talk about finances in one way or another? God's Word is full of wisdom about finances. If God talked about it, we ought to talk about it. And so I want to talk to you about how to make your money smart instead of stupid. Anybody ever had stupid money? You know how money gets stupid? Stupid decisions make it stupid. How many of you want wise money? Wise money, wise decisions. All right, let's look at what Job said. Of all people, Job said if they listen and obey God, they will be what, everybody? With what? How long? Throughout their lives. And all their years will be pleasant. Well, how in the world am I blessed with prosperity throughout all of my life? Look what it says. If you listen and obey. Not just listen, but listen and obey. Then there is something about that where God blesses not only our spiritual life, but He blesses our material life because it really matters. So I want us to pray a prayer to the Lord. My prayer is that wisdom is given to this church body about finances in our private lives where it really matters. I want you to pray with me and say, Lord, today I receive your wisdom. Take control of my financial life and may it come under the divine order of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn your neighbor and tell him, grab the sides of your chair. You're going to need to today. No, it's not that bad. No, it's, this is good. Now, last time we talked about smart money or how to use your money wisely. I want you to understand money is completely neutral. Here is a dollar bill. It's completely neutral when it comes into my hand. But I can use it for evil or I can use it for good. Money is neutral. What makes it spiritual and what gives it impact is how I use it. I believe if God can get it through you, He will get it to you. There are principles that have to do with money, principles of finance that God has given us in His Word. So this, this dollar is completely neutral. It, is, it becomes what it becomes based on how I use it. We saw that money is a spiritual issue. Because Scripture says it can hinder our serving God. If money is strong enough for us that it can hinder our serving God, then money is powerful. Jesus said you can't serve God and money. You're going to serve one or the other. The Bible says money is so powerful it can lure us away from God. Money can lure you away from making God your primary pursuit. The Bible says that money can even become a God itself. There are people who worship at the altar of money. They give their life blood for money. They serve money like we might serve God. Money is their life. As their money goes, so go they. Money is their God. Money has been this country's God for a long, long time. And God's about to change that, I hope. Paul warned Timothy, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, notice, he didn't say money 
is the root of all evil. He said the love of money, falling in love with money, loving money, romantically attached to money, is a root from which all kinds of evil springs. It's not the root of all evil because Adam and Eve, when they sinned, it had nothing to do with money. So not all sin it has a money issue, but the love of money is a root, a cause for all kinds of evil. Watch Forensic Files sometime or some of these crime shows and virtually all the crime that takes place has to do with money. It's people getting in trouble because of money, killing people over money, stealing, wanting money, embezzling, money, 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 the root of all kinds of evil. Billy Graham said if a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it'll help straighten out almost every other area in his life. If you get your money straight, it's amazing. Money can bless you or it can curse you. Money can make you or it can break you. Money can, can bless your future or curse your future. Money can be spent for good or it can be spent for evil. It all depends on how you use it. Now we saw last time that Solomon, old wise King Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, uh, lays out five principles for smart money. He said you've got to keep good records. Second, you've got to plan your spending. Third, you've got to save for the future. Fourth, you've got to be content with what you already have. And fifth, you've got to give at least 10% back to God. Now that's five things you find in the book of Proverbs about money. Now how many of you would like to know what God thinks about money? Well, that's, that's, we're going to have to edit all that clapping out there, TJ. How many of you really want, how many of you know that I need God's wisdom on everything that pertains to life and living? And money matters. A few weeks ago I spoke on tithing. And that was in the beginning of this series, so I'm not going to deal with tithing today. I don't want to be repetitive. You can get that CD, and I would encourage you to do it if you weren't here for the CD or for the message on tithing. So today, I'm going to talk about two things, saving and being content with what you have. Oh, that God would give us contentment. Now, let me talk to you first about saving. In Proverbs 6, 6 to 8, Solomon is talking about saving money, and he tells us to look at a bug. Now, we're about to learn from a bug today. You didn't think there was any wisdom in bugs, did you? I saw a young person, I was walking through the fellowship hall, and he was just squashing a bug. I said, man, have mercy on that bug. What did he do to you? But listen to what Solomon says in Proverbs 6, 6. Take a lesson from the ants. Learn from their ways and be wise. Even though they have no prince, no governor, no ruler, no boss to make them work. They labor hard all summer. Why? Gathering food for the winter. Why do they labor all summer? It's not to consume everything they labor for at that time, but they are laboring in the summer to store something away for the winter. Now the winter time in this passage for you and I is old age. It is when your hair has gotten silver, you can't see as good, hear as good, chew as good, smell as good. You've gotten old. The grinders aren't working anymore if you still have your original grinders. That is your teeth. And one of these days, you and I are not going to be able to work as hard, earn as much, and we're going to 
need something in the bank. He says, I want you to look at the ants and learn from them. Romans 1 says God has made the things we can see to teach us the things we cannot see. So we're going to look at what God created, the ant. There is a message in the ant. They don't consume all their resources. They don't have a boss. They're independent. They don't have anybody riding them, cracking a whip over them, telling them what to do. But they have the sense to gather in the summertime of their life when they're strong, when they're hearty, when they can think good, when they've got their energy and their wits about them. Why? They are storing up for the winter time that they know is coming. They do better than 85% of Americans. Did you know that 85% of Americans end up with less than $250 in cash savings when they reach the age of 65? 85% of Americans end up with less than $250 cash in the bank when they hit 65. They didn't have the wisdom of an ant. During their working years, they earn hundreds of thousands of dollars and they pay off everybody but themselves. Because all those years they're paying this bill, that bill, this mortgage, that car payment, they pay everybody off, but they don't pay themselves. They don't do what the ant does when he knows winter time is coming. Now, I hate to break it to you, young people, but you're going to get old someday, and it's going to happen quicker than you think. Everybody who just amen me are old. They know how fast it happens. The problem is, here's our problem, and we need to be delivered of this. We're a part of the live for today culture. You deserve it today. You deserve it now. It's the live for today philosophy of America. As a result, we don't even do what the ants do. Winter time is coming for everybody in this room. You might ask then, well, Pastor Jeff, then what do I save? If the ants store something away for winter, what do I save? Most experts recommend that you lay aside 10% every month. If you do, it's amazing how much you're going to accumulate. Now let me show you something. Here's some money. For those of our radio listeners, I'm holding a wad of cash. It's really not that much money. But watch this. Let's just say I got paid $1,000. Here's what, here's where we're going. I just got paid $1,000. All right, it's in hundreds. Every bill in my hand is a $100 bill. Here's what God says. First thing you do, off the top, God gets 100 Then you get 100 No, but I want it all. Well, you're going to have it all, just not now. See, so the second 100 goes into savings. So, Pastor Jeff, I can't do that. Oh, you'd be amazed what you can do if you learn to say no. Now, what I'm sharing with you today, you would pay hundreds of dollars to get advice for from somebody else, so I will have plates at the back when we're done. I'm kidding. Watch this now. God says when you get paid, I get the first 10%, savings gets the next 10%, you get to live off of 80%. Well, Pastor Jeff, I can't do that. Well, you can start somewhere you can start somewhere because the reason you can't is not because you haven't been making enough, but it's likely because you haven't spent wisely what you've made. So I know wealthy, wealthy people that are in financial trouble. 
See, if you, do, if you are wise with a small amount, you'll be wise with a large amount. If you're stupid with a small amount, you'll be stupid with a large amount. Jesus said that. If you're faithful over a little, I'll make you ruler over much. If you're not faithful over a little, I won't trust you with much because you couldn't be trusted with a little. Let me extrapolate. Let me just give you an illustration here of what I just shared. Let's say you earn $40,000 a year. If you put aside 10%, here we go, God gets the first 10%, you get the second 10%, you're making $40,000 a year, and you put aside 10%, so you get $4,000 in the bank at the end of the year, and you do this every year for 30 years, and you invest it in a decent, secure fund that might yield to you somewhere around 8% interest, after 30 years, you would have half a million dollars in the bank. That's half a million you wouldn't have if you didn't save. Now, you can just take that and run with it. If you're making 80 a year, 90 a year, you set aside 10%, you're in a million. So that when you hit 65, or as the Beatles said, when I'm 64, <laughs> what are you going to do when you can't see as good, hear as good, work as good, or you get laid off because they're hiring all the young bucks? You want something for your winter. Hello, church. So why are you talking about this in church? Because it is spiritual. It's a spiritual issue. What you do with your money is extremely spiritual. It reveals a lot about you and me. Show me your checkbook and I'll show you your priorities and I'll show you what you love. And I'll show you what you don't really care about. If you do 10% making 40 a year and you do 10% over 30 years, you've got a half a million dollars in the bank when you retire. It is very, very possible to do this, but most people won't. Most people won't do it. Here's why. Because most people are involved in, in impulsive spending or they're sinking their money into uncertain investments. Let me just give you an example. The lottery tickets. Now, like I said, grab the sides of your chair. Let me say, I, I got to just talk about this for a minute because I've never bought a lottery ticket. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying I see God as my provider, not chance, not somebody drawing a name out of a, a spinner thing. I've never gambled. I've never pulled a slot machine. I'm just telling you, I've never done it. Because I trust God. He's my Jehovah Jireh, not the lotto. But a lot of people buy lotto tickets. Now let me talk to you about this. <clears throat> Lottery tickets, the money you spend on those things, you ought to be putting away in savings. I wonder why it is so quiet in here. Lotto tickets are foolish spending because the lottery doesn't pay. In fact, you know you're more likely to be hit by a meteor than to win the lottery. The odds are greater that you're going to go to the moon someday than you're going to win the lottery. There's a good word for people who play the lottery, and it is loser. Loser! And there are millions of losers every week for every one winner. Have you ever noticed what happens to the winners of the lotto? I read about them. The vast majority of them crash and burn. They lose all their good relationships with all their in-laws that forgot their name till they won the lotto. Then they're knocking on their door saying, well, hello there, I've been really thinking about you. So good to see you again. I hear you won that lotto. They lose all of their familial relationships. They lose their friendships. They spend it all badly because they weren't handling money rightly in the first place. 
and they crash and burn. Rare is the person who wins the lottery that does well with it. The lottery commission knows that they can count on you losing. Gambling casinos survive and thrive by counting on losers. There wouldn't be a lottery if people won all the time. There wouldn't be one if they won all the time. And there'd be no gambling casinos if gambling paid off. When you walk into that gambling casino, they look at you and go, there's my next fool. Woo! Oh, you weren't counting on this in church today, were you? I know. I can tell by some of you really do believe what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. No, it does not. What happens in Vegas, you bring home with you. Especially debt. So it's foolish to waste your money on things like the lottery or on impulsive purchases. Let me tell you, this really happened to me. I was in a convenience store a couple of weeks ago. Really happened. Standing in front of me was a man. I noticed that he had on really dirty blue jeans, really dirty, can I say it, stinky shirt. He'd been working all day in the heat. Unshaven face, messed up greasy hair. I could tell he was a hard-working blue-collar guy. I could tell. One of the tradesmen or something. And he'd been really working hard. Out there sweating all day, blood, sweat, and tears. And he gets up to the counter and he says, I want that lotto ticket, that one, that one. Boy, he knew all the names. I didn't know there were so many possibilities when you're in a convenience store of all the different lotto tickets you can buy. He said, oh, give me that one, that one, that one. Oh, by the way, I want that one. And, oh, I guess I'll get that one. And he, this guy just ripping them off from this spool as fast as he can. And he's got a stack of them here. And this guy pulls out his wallet, pulls out a wad of hard-earned cash, and buys these lotto tickets. And I thought, that money is his extra money that should have gone into savings. But now, somewhere, somebody he's never going to know is going to win his money. The Bible instead teaches that we should save for the future. Then why don't we save? Here's why. Because we're not committed to a principle that we've got to embrace if we're going to save money. Here it is. You ready? It's the principle of delayed gratification. Delayed gratification is the ability to say no to what you want so you can get what you need. Delayed gratification is the discipline of putting off what you want today so that you will have what you need tomorrow. You're walking through that mall and the demon of mall comes on you and you start hearing that voice. I had so many people go out here a couple, uh, last week, and they said, I never even thought about an iPod until you talked about it. <laughs> and everywhere I went, I saw an iPod. If you weren't here last week, you need to get the CD. But anyway, uh, you're walking through the mall, and you begin to hear these voices. This is for you. This is your day. You get that suit. You, and some of you guys, you go off to Home Depot, or even worse, you go to a boat store, and that voice talks to you and says, you deserve that boat today. And, and you've worked hard all of your life. And wouldn't you like to be going off on weekends in that boat? Oh, yeah, you'll miss a little bit of church, but that's okay. God understands. And you get that boat, and when your wife finds out, your head is in the shape of a frying pan. <laughs> but you listen to that voice. And the voice was all about what you wanted, not what you need. Now, I'm not saying you can't get some things you want. But what I am saying is the principle of delayed gratification gives you and I the ability to discern between what I want and what I need. And if I'm going to save money, I've got to say no 
to some things. So I say no. Most people have opted for the philosophy of immediate gratification rather than delayed. They've swallowed the American myth that they can and should have it all now. I want it right now. Jesus can come again uh, any day now. My luck. I'll save money and he'll come and I don't get to spend it. Let me talk to you about Jesus coming again. You ought to live like he's coming today. But you ought to plan like he's not coming back for a thousand years. Did you catch that? You live today like any moment the trumpet should sound and you better be ready to meet your Lord. But you plan your life. You plan your finances like he might not ever come, not at least in a thousand years. He's not coming back in your lifetime. So you're going to grow old on this earth and you're going to need savings. Immediate gratification. That's what so many young couples sell into, buy into. The temptation to impulsively spend all their limited extra funds on what they want to enjoy in the here and now. And that brings me to the curse of the credit card. Now I talked about the credit card last week. I got to do it one more time. Listen to this. Part of the problem, part of the reason we're living in immediate gratification and not delayed gratification is a credit card because they make it so easy to use. Have you ever noticed that? It's so easy to use. Here's one. It's not used. I use it rarely, and if I use it, I pay it off before the month is out. But here's one of these. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to use? Let me give you a statistic. Statistics show that when we shop with plastic with one of these, we spend 23% more money than when we use cash. You know why? Because when you're standing at the counter and you've got cash and you're going, one, two, 20, 50, you're thinking, really? Am I really spending all this money? But not with the credit card. Sush. Because using a credit card doesn't feel like we're using real money, does it? At least until the bills arrive. Have you ever noticed how faithful Visa is to write to you? Have you ever noticed how faithful American Express is to let you know that they're still thinking about you? And do you know that credit cards intentionally make it easy? Think about this. Think about how easy it is to spend your money with one of these things. Think about it. You don't have to go to a bank. You don't have to sit down with a loan officer. You don't have to fill out a bunch of forms. You just have to want something. And you see it. And you know that you've got the plastic in your pocket. And you know that all you've got to do is take it out of your wallet, out of your billfold, and slide it through that simple little machine. And isn't it so easy? And you've got what you want when you wanted it. I get offers in the mail all the time that say things like, Congratulations, Jeff Wickwire. You are among a prestigious few. I am? Wow, I'm already impressed. And it says, who are preferred. All right, I'm preferred. Somebody in New York thinks I'm prestigious, and I'm preferred. But then it goes on, and you have been pre-approved. We don't even need to talk to you. We know you're good for the money. Already, I'm feeling F-L-A-T-T-E-R-E-D. Say it with me. Fatter. Because I'm prestigious. I'm pre-approved. 
and I am preferred. I'm elite. I'm the select of the elect. Wow, they think a lot of me. And all of these things we have done so that you can get a Visa Platinum card with a $50,000 limit. Well, honey, look at this. We are prestigious, we are preferred, and we have been selected. Let's get the card because there's a certain status with having that platinum until you spend it. Have you ever noticed that whenever you read one of these ads for a gold or a platinum card, there's one word they don't use, the worst four-letter word in the English language? Debt. Have you ever noticed they don't use the word debt? It's not there. But that's exactly what they're selling you. They're selling you debt. But since debt is such an unpleasant word, they don't include it in the little form they send you to fill out to make it so easy. Instead, here's what they tell you. We sell freedom to buy what you want when you want it. But you know what? They're not selling you freedom. They're really peddling debt at a high interest rate, 14, 15, 16, 18 percent. And if you don't make your payment, you're up to an unbelievable level of interest. The dictionary gives the following synonyms for debt. I want you to listen to these synonyms for debt, and I want you to tell me if you would like this. To owe, to be obligated, in deficit, in default, insolvent, in over one's head, in arrears, pauper, destitute, penniless, needy, distressed, living hand to mouth, ruined, impoverished, hard up, beaten down, bereft, unable to make ends meet, embarrassed, broke, busted. Can you imagine if they sent you a form and said, we would like to help you to become? <laughs> Watch this. <laughs> We want to make you obligated, in deficit, in default, insolvent, in over your head, in arrears, pauper, destitute, penniless, needly, or needy, distressed, living hand to mouth, embarrassed, broken, busted, sign on the dotted line. <laughs> you know what you'd do? You'd wad that thing up as fast as you could and throw it away, but that's what they're selling you. Now, if all these credit card companies told you this is what they were selling, you wouldn't do it. Here's what they're saying. We want you to be in debt to us for as long as we can get you in debt to us. And if you've got a problem with credit cards, there's a project I read that a guy challenges us to do who was formerly in terrible debt to credit cards. Here's what he suggests. You ready? He said, go home. Take out all your credit cards and put them on a cookie sheet. Heat your oven to 450 degrees. <laughs> Open the door. Stick it in and watch them melt down. After it's over, Pull them out, let them cool, cut them into little pieces, and mail the pieces back to the companies that sent them to you, and say, please never send me one of these things ever again. <laughs> then instead of charging for the future, you embrace the philosophy of delayed gratification and save for the future. I can say no to what I want so that I can have what I need in winter. Winter time's coming. Now the last thing I want to talk to you about quickly is this. Solomon advises if you want to get your money together, you're going to have to learn something. You've got to learn to be content. Can everybody say the word content with me? You know why you spend too much money? You're not content. You know why you go into terrible debt? You're not content. You've got to learn to be content. Listen to what he said. He observes in Proverbs 21, 17, indulging in luxuries 
Wine and rich food will never make you wealthy. He's saying that the best stuff in life, material-wise, is not what makes a person wealthy. A person is made wealthy by their walk with Jesus Christ. A person is made wealthy by their spiritual condition. Not by what you have. Jesus said your life does not consist in the number of things you possess. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes these words, It is better to be satisfied, content with what you have than to always be wanting something else. Another verse says, the eye of carnal man is never satisfied. If you get this, you're going to want that. If you get that, you're going to want something else. You want something else, you're going to get something over yonder. You're never, ever, ever satisfied. You never say, I have enough, I am satisfied. We're not content. Instead, our yearnings exceed our earnings. We yearn for this and yearn for that, and we reach out and take them when we don't have the money to pay for them. Our yearnings exceed our earnings. It's not that we can't live on what we make. It's that we won't live on what we make. We won't say no. Now listen to what Paul told Timothy. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. You want to be wealthy? Be content. After all, he says, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. We can't take anything with us when we leave it. So we have enough food and clothing. Let us be content. Now what's contentment? Contentment in the dictionary says being satisfied with things as they are. I'm satisfied with things as they are. How do I get there? Being thankful. You've got to be thankful. If you're not a thankful person, you're not a content person. If you're not a content person, listen to me. I promise you, you're not happy. I think everybody in here wants to be happy. Don't you all want to be happy and enjoy the life you've got? You want a smile on your face? You want peace in your heart? You want to wake up and say, what a great day it is. This is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. I'm a happy person. You know what the greatest attraction to your Christianity is? For other people who don't know the Lord? If you're happy. So we got Christians going out there looking like they just got beat up. Uh, what's going on? Hey, Christian friend at work. Hey, how are you? Oh, man. Bad. Life is tough and then you die. There's people whose faces would crack apart if they smiled. And they come to church, and they're as grim as grim could be. The greatest billboard God's got out there is your face. But you're never going to be happy without being content. Never. So that content means I'm thankful for what God has given me. Lord, thank you that I'm saved. Thank you that the Holy Spirit resides within me. The cup is not half empty. It really is truly half full. I thank you, Lord, for what you have done for me. I don't have everything I want, but I've got everything I need. Look what he said. If we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. If I've got food and clothing, I'm to be content. That is, satisfied with things as they are. I don't have to have what the Jones have. I don't have to go into debt to get that latest new car. I don't have to compete with other people. I don't care what they think. Dave Ramsey put it this way. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. (laughs) 
You say, well, if I get too content, then I'm not going to achieve anything. That's not true. Contentment does not destroy aspirations, desire, motivation, or incentive to do better. Contentment will empower you and energize you to do those things. Contentment doesn't make you lazy. It doesn't mean you're sitting around going, well, you know, I'm content. I don't need to do anything with my life. That's not contentment. Contentment is a condition of mind and soul that empowers you to enjoy things as they are along the way. So you wake up and say, just thank you, Lord, for what I have. No, I don't have that new car or that nicer house or as much money as I wish I were making, but here's what I do have, and I'm going to thank you for what I've got. And if you can become a thankful person, he says right here, godliness with contentment is wealth. There's people with millions of dollars in the bank can't sleep at night. They're too filled with stress. But rather than being content to live in a smaller house, drive an older car, buy fewer clothes, we overextend ourselves and get into such debt that we have nightmares at night. We see things we want but can't afford. We buy them anyway because the salesman tells us we can own this or that in only 60 easy payments. I have never met an easy payment. I don't care what it is. I hate it when I've got to do it. Rick Warren says his family lives by this philosophy. Use it up, wear it out, make it do, or do without. Use it up, wear it out, make it do, or do without. We'd be happier if we would live by the two simple philosophies we're looking at today. Here they are. Rein in your yearnings to match your earnings and be content with what you've got. Can we stand together? How many of you have got a cookie sheet in mind for when you get home? <laughs> so say with me keep good records, plan your spending. Practice delayed gratification. Be content. Give 10% back to God. Give the Lord a hand of praise. That's the way you live. I want us to give the Lord our finances, can we? It's so important. And you know you need it. I need it. I need God's hand on my finances. So can we just say this prayer to the Lord if you really mean it? Let's say it. Say, Lord Jesus, take charge of my finances. Help me to apply what I've learned from the Word of God in Jesus' name. Now with your heads bowed a moment. I told you I was going to give you an invitation to come and let Turning Point be your church home. And I believe God has been speaking to some people. You're praying about where to go. You're wondering about where to go. Or you just feel a peace right here. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God. When we make a commitment, say, this is my home. I'm done wandering, done looking. This is my home. God says something happens to you. You begin to flourish. So with your heads bowed, if you can say, Pastor Jeff, I believe that God is touching me to 
Let Turning Point be my church home. Can you raise your hand? Let me just see you where you are. Bless you, bless you. I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to bring your family. If you're with a family, if you're a single, that's fine. But if you're with a family, I want all of you just to come down and line up right here. I want to meet you, and I want to pray for you. So we're going to worship for a minute. We're just going to give you time to come. And you slip out and come. And we want to receive you into the house of God. And so let's begin to worship you. God is so say to all of you who have come, we are committed, and, and I mean this, to the core of my being, to minister the Word of God to you, to see you grow in faith and grow in your calling, and walk with the joy of the Lord, be a happy believer who is filled with joy, to see your life come under His direction and His Lordship, and we're believing for the very, very best, that you're going to do everything He's called you to do, and we commit that to you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to believe God to bless you. So I'm going to do that right now. Then I'm going to let you go into the back with some of our men. And they're going to pray with you once more. Give you a bag of goodies to take home with you. And we welcome you in the name of Jesus. And we need you as much as you need us. And we're a family. So let me pray. Father, thank you for these precious people. And I pray, Lord, that in every area of their life, they will come into divine order. And be blessed, truly blessed, the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. And Lord, I pray that your hand rests on them. And as they have now committed to the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless all of you. If you would head on back with George and, and all, go ahead and... Um, they're going to help them back, and Kathy's going to share a couple of quick announcements. Give them a hand one more time as they go. That's a lot of people. Yes. We so rejoice with them today. What I'm going to talk about is in your bulletin. It's also on the website, but I want to make sure everybody knows if you want to vote in November, tomorrow is the last chance for you to mail in your postage, prepaid postage uh, voter registration. You can get that at the connection point right here in the lobby. You can get Tarrant County or Johnson County. You do have to register in the county in which you live. But it has to be postmarked tomorrow. So don't forget that if you want to vote in November. Um, we have Tuesday morning prayer here, Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. Every Tuesday morning, we'd love for you to join us. It's time to pray for our country and our families and our, and our church. 
Um, Wednesday night, we have our service, and then after that, the choir is beginning their fall choir is meeting on Wednesday nights after the service with Pastor Joe. And any, anybody that's interested in that is welcome to join them this Wednesday night. And then Saturday, next Saturday, the, the early childhood department has an outing to a pumpkin patch. And then we want you to know that Jeff is going to be speaking at the Burleson Founders Day event. So you may want to come to that. All that information's in here, as well as we're going to be back here tonight at 6 o'clock for our praise and worship. That's right. And if you like to worship till you drop uh, at church, we're always on a schedule. But tonight we start at 6 and we're going to worship till we drop.